You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 749 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Friday, and uh, here we are talking some basketball. First, I want to apologize for the lack of sound quality on the last podcast with Zach Hood. Um, my microphone decided not to work, uh, so it was basically recording through my AirPods, which is not the worst audio I've ever done, probably, in the world, but not normally, obviously uh, not the same quality as, as normal, so my apologies for that, but hopefully you guys still enjoyed that podcast. Also, a good time to plug the recent recent shows in addition to that one but Ladner was on to continue our player review series we are now three out of five deep on that one those are fun shows looking back at the season and, and of course Tower Jones recently joined us talk about John Collins and other things so that was a fun podcast as well also people have been asking for, for more NBA draft content I promise it's going to be coming we've already had episodes with Spencer Perman and Jackson Frank and Ben Pfeiffer there will be more to come I promise you uh, we're trying to stretch things out a little bit right now because we don't know when the draft's actually going to be but have no fear this is basically going to be a draft podcast for uh, a very long time I would imagine in advance of the draft so that's going to be coming in the future and uh, don't worry we'll uh, be blowing it out as usual on the NBA draft. Um, With that in mind today's podcast is going to be sort of a uh, there's a network-wide push to capture the five best moments of the season for each uh, NBA franchise so we're going to do that today and uh, with that out of the way here we go with you know five or six of the best moments of the season. Uh, these are not really in the order of importance. They're actually in chronological order, make it a little bit easier for me anyway. Um, the first one that I wanted to get to is, uh, and by the way, just as the backdrop here, the Hawks actually weren't very good this year. We all know that. So, um, you know, these best moments are not going to, I'm not going to rank alongside necessarily the good teams in the NBA, but there were still some nice moments to capture that I think people might be wanting to be reminded of in this time. So here we go. Um, the second game of the season was the first one that I wanted to listen, uh, list here when the Hawks beat Orlando. And uh, people might forget this by now, the Hawks were actually 2-0 and this year. And there was a lot of optimism at that point in time. Probably a little bit um, too much, but I understand why at the, at the time. But yeah, the Hawks win that game to go 2-0 and against Orlando. Trey Young had 39 points, and he actually scored the last 8 points of the game. They played very good defense that night. Um, as I was going back through my notes and watching a little bit of that game in preparation for this podcast, you know, Orlando's offense is notably bad, but the Hawks actually played good defense that night. They played very well. And honestly, Trey was fantastic, but no one else had more than 10 points in that game for Atlanta, and that was still a team that was pretty, uh, I would say, not exactly at full strength at that point in time. Kevin Herter was still coming back slowly, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I do... You know, there was a little bit, there was a little bit of a skepticism for me at that moment in time when people were ready to crown the Hawks as a playoff team. But still, it was a pretty good win, and there was a lot of optimism. So I wanted to point that one out as a good moment of the season, even if it feels like it was a lifetime ago. That the Hawks were actually two and zero during the course of that campaign. Um, the second game is kind of another weird one, and honestly, this is one that I almost even forget about unless I was looking at uh, the list that I was going through. But uh, the Hawks winning in Denver. Back in November was a, uh, I would say this is, pr- you know, maybe not probably, but certainly in the in the contest for best win of the season, especially when you factor in they beat a very very good team in Denver on the road, um, and honestly they were shorthanded at that point in time, so going into Denver is a place that teams rarely win and winning um, to go. I think the Hawks were four and six at that point in time, so it wasn't like the season was already over by that point. Um, 
there was one negative from that game, and that was that Kevin Herter got injured in that game and was sidelined for a couple of weeks after that, which takes some of the shine off of the festivities. But in terms of just the game itself, Trey Young was fantastic. He had 15 in the fourth quarter and finished with 42 points. That was the season high to that point of the season. Uh, Jabari Parker had 20 had 20 points, nine rebounds. It's been a, it's been a while for Jabari, but there you go. One of his better one of his better nights of the season. Alex Lynn had a good game off the bench with 17 and seven. In fact, the Hawks going into Denver without John Collins and with Kevin Herter getting injured during the game and winning is pretty surprising in retrospect. By the way, Ty Wallace was the backup point guard that night for the Hawks, which is kind of a, a look back at memory lane. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're, on a, they're on a ton of like landmark wins this year for the Hawks. But honestly, that was one that happened right before the real downturn. From there, the Hawks lost you know basically every game for a month plus, um, but at that point, they were 4-6 and six with a good win on the road in Denver, and that was kind of the start of the road trip, and uh, things went very badly after that. But alas, that was a pretty good moment along the way for Atlanta. Um, next, we will get to what I always call the Brandon Goodwin game, and that was December 30th. Uh, the Hawks beating the Orlando Magic without Trey Young, and that was the big surprise is that, you know, Trey, by that point, we, we kind of already knew that Trey had made the leap. We also knew that Trey was basically the entire offensive structure for the Hawks. We were already talking about, you know, how bad the Hawks were without him on the on the court. The splits were already there offensively, et cetera, et cetera. So it was kind of unthinkable that the Hawks would go on the road and beat a pretty good Orlando team. Obviously, Orlando's not great, but going uh, going in as a pretty big underdog without Trey Young. And honestly, people have to remember this at the time. The Hawks were six and twenty-seven. So, given what I said before about the Hawks being four and six after winning in Denver, they were uh, two and twenty-one in their next twenty-three games before the Brandon Goodwin game. So, not a lot of uh, highlights during that run. But so I would say the season was pretty much over. Obviously, six and twenty-seven is kind of hard to come back from. So there wasn't a whole lot of optimism that night, and the Hawks had lost ten in a row coming in. But it was legitimately fun. You know, Goodwin's always uh, a great story anyway. He's a local product, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that was uh, his sort of breakout moment with Atlanta. He had 21 points and six assists in 22 minutes. Um, and they actually started that game without Goodwin. They actually started that game with Reddish and uh, Reddish and Herter in the backcourt together with no point guard. And they ended up uh, closing a lot with Goodwin. But he was fantastic that night. The Hawks were actually down 18 in the first half. They were down by 10 at halftime. Um, and then Goodwin kind of led that charge. Also, uh, Kevin Herter had 12 points in the fourth quarter of that game, which is kind of lost time, but a really fun win. Honestly, I watched a little bit more of that game than I watched some of the other ones just because I was trying to remember what happened. Um, and yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty fun. All things considered, it was kind of that, that oasis in the desert after uh, a lot of losses in a row. And uh, Goodwin had a couple of those moments this season where he kind of just exploded for a quarter or two. But that was probably his best, uh, at least, his, at least the, the first one, the first time that he kind of exploded on the scene. And that was the game that I always refer to as the Brennan Goodwin game. So there you go on that. Okay. We have three. We have three down. We'll we'll touch on three or four more in a second. But before we get to that, here's a word from our sponsors for today's show. All right, and we will go on with the list now. Um, next on the agenda is uh, the Hawks going in to San Antonio and winning for the first time since 1997. Now, I've talked about the streak ad nauseum for a few years now on Twitter and on this podcast. I've written about it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But just to remind people about this, the Hawks didn't win in San Antonio for more than two decades. And now I understand that it's kind of perfectly coincided with the Tim Duncan era and the Spurs were basically awesome that entire time. But going in there and losing every year is still notable and the Hawks lost 21 games in a row 
in San Antonio, including a couple of times when the Hawks just kind of imploded games that should have won. I know the Spurs were good, but the Hawks were also good for a large portion of that time. So yeah, it just kind of, they just couldn't win there. It was kind of crazy. And uh, that's, that streak was the longest one in the NBA by a wide margin. So it, it kind of made some national rounds when they actually won. And frankly, the Hawks almost blew this game too. <laughs> they led by nine at the half. They got blitzed big time in the third quarter. They actually lost the third quarter 41 to 21. And suddenly were down double digits. They were down by 14 in the fourth quarter. They roared all the way back, though, and stole a win. Again, the Spurs were not very good this year. That's worth pointing out, too. But still, uh, just the historic nature of the victory was what I'm kind of referring to on this particular uh, episode. Um, by the way, just to recap a little bit, Kevin Herter hit a three with six seconds to go to win the game. The Hawks were down by two. He had a three. That was kind of the rare, you know, it wasn't quite a walk-off because it was this, it was, uh, it was only, only late, not exactly a buzzer beater, but it was still a, a legitimate game-winning shot. That was the final score from there. Um, Trey Young had 31 points, not, not assists. 22 points for Cam Reddish on the road. Herder himself had 18, 18 and 10 for Collins. 14 for Vince Carter off the bench, which was kind of notable, I would say. But uh, yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing crazy about the game. I mean, it was a good, good comeback for Atlanta, but just the fact that it was a historic win and uh, one of the times this season when it was a little bit of uh, optimism considering the lack of a streak. And I think everyone that's been following the team for a long time, you know, from broadcasters on down to writers like myself, um, just kind of knows that's kind of a house of horrors for Atlanta. So to go in there and win was fun. Um, next on the agenda and kind of the last standard game that I wanted to mention was Trey Young's 50 point performance, uh, against Miami on February the 20th. Uh, for some background, the Hawks, uh, imploded earlier in the year in Miami in an embarrassing loss where Miami scored like a million points in a row between the end of regulation and overtime to have the Hawks lose, um, decidedly in overtime. And, uh, the headline of that game, at least nationally, was that Trey Young made the it's over gesture. Um, when the Hawks went up by, I believe it was, it was a six point lead late in that game. Um, and they lost that game, of course, and Jimmy Butler made it a big deal after the game, roasted him for it. So fast forward to this game and Trey got some revenge with his first 50 point game. Also had eight assists. He was eight of 15 from three. He was 18 of 19 from the line. I don't think necessarily this is the best game he's ever played. Honestly, he was good, of course, because you have to be good to have the game that he had. But I think it's also—I mean, it's obviously his most high-scoring game. Very memorable in the fact that it was against Miami. There was that there was that narrative storyline along the way, and uh, that's still that is still Trey's career high. So there's a lot of attention paid to that. It was relatively soon after the All Star break as well, so a lot of attention paid there. And that was a fun night um, because Trey just had it going, and uh, he's pretty much incredible when he has it going. So there you go on that. Um, the other two games that I wanted to at least mention briefly uh, as sort of uh, you know one's one's more of an honorable mention. The other one is kind of just this weird game that I'm not sure how to discuss honestly. But the, the honorable mention is the the last game before the shutdown because of the Vince Carter nature of that game. But it's just the last shot in the uh, overtime period. Um, the Hawks had the big had the big comeback. I almost included this in the sort of top five, but at the same time, it felt so weird. Frankly, after halftime, when it's kind of it was kind of, it was pretty pretty much assumed that it was going to be over, and then it, then it, then it was officially over when the uh, NBA announced that the season was going to be suspended, and that all happened during the game. So it was really hard to care about what transpired, honestly. And if you if you felt that way, it's kind of unfortunate because the Hawks had a great comeback in that game. It just didn't really matter in that way. The Hawks did battle. They obviously played hard, and then Vince uh, sort of that probably will be his last shot of his career. Um, but it was a it was kind of a cool ending to what was a weird game and a fun game, but um, just kind of also had that cloud hanging over it, so I'm not even sure how to talk about it. I'm sure people will be higher or lower on that than I am in some way, but that was uh, something I wanted to at least mention on the pod, that that was a at least memorable game, if nothing else. Um, and the other game that was certainly be on the best moments list um, for reasons beyond 
Atlanta, but it was still actually a pretty big night for Atlanta as well, was the game on the day that Kobe Bryant passed away. Um, the Hawks had a home game that day. Trey Young came out wearing number eight. Um, he was he was very emotional. It was, it was an emotional day for everyone, frankly, in the NBA world, uh, and really even beyond that, of course. The Hawks also had a, a great game on the court that night. They scored 152 points. That was their season high, uh, pretty comfortably against the Wizards. They won that game by a lot, and it really kind of just blasted them. Trey was fantastic at 45 and 14. Hunter had 25. Uh, Bruder Fernando had a double double, 14 and 12 that night. Um, 18 for Herder, 16 and 8 for Collins, 13 for Reddish. Shows all the young guys had good games. Um, Trey had a great game, and you get a great, a really nice win for Atlanta. That you know was kind of an offensive barrage. But it was also just sort of under the cloud of the Kobe thing, so I'm not really sure. I mean, I, that would probably be on the list if we're being honest. They're just kind of in its, own, in its own category because of the weirdness around it. But still a memorable night that I will remember watching that game and you know tr- the Trey thing, especially um, him having a huge game and wearing number eight, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, want to put want to make sure I, I at least included that along the way. If you have stuff that I that you think I missed, uh, please let me know. There were certain like quarters. Here and there that I w- almost brought, brought up, there was a reddish uh, explosion or two um, for a quarter at a time. Of course, Trey had huge halves, et cetera, et cetera. But I wanted to go a little bit more broad and talk about full game moments um, along the way here. But if you had other things that I missed, please let me know that on Twitter or whatever. Um, but I wanted to at least give, us, give it a shot with the network um, as the backdrop here. So uh, before we get out of here today uh, and for the end of the show, I want to remind everyone that the network has a, a wide range of shows, including pods that cover the whole NBA. Um, one of those is, is Rejected the Screen, and it has a bunch of interviews and stuff like that. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But before we wrap today's show up, um, I wanted to include, and uh, the network is all doing this uh, today, or at least this week sometime, about a 10-minute collection of some of the highlights from, re- from the Rejecting the Screen podcast with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. Um, so that's uh, that's what the next little uh, next 10 minutes or so of the pod are going to be. So check that out. Um, give it a shot if you feel led to do so. And uh, w- here we go with that audio from Noah and Adam. Hey, it's Noah Kozlov from Rejecting the Screen on the Locked On Podcast Network. Adam Stanko and I get together twice a week to talk hoops with folks who have touched the NBA on all sorts of levels, from all-stars, coaches, executives, and media members. Recently, the number three pick in the 2006 NBA draft, Adam Morrison, joined us to tell a story about how Kobe Bryant, his former Lakers teammate with whom he won two rings, went above and beyond to lift his spirits. It was a year after I was out, and so I wasn't playing, obviously, and I was really depressed, and I was basically a hermit in my own house, and I didn't go out in the community at all, and, and, you know, if you did, it was one of people asking you, why aren't you playing, and I was, you know, I'm 26 at the time, or whatever I was, and, you know, number three pick, and just really low point in my life, and I get a text from Robert Laura, the the Lakers security and Kobe's like one of his best friends and he said hey what's your address uh I got something in the mail for you and I get the package and it's um an autographed jersey from Didier Drogba um who is my favorite player I'm a Chelsea fan you know it's from Kobe and game worn jersey you know signed Didier Drogba to Adam best wishes and I always thought Kobe you know, made a phone call, which is, would be fine. It's still cool as shit. It's unbelievable. The night he passed, I'm scrolling through, reading everything, and I'm emotional. And on Chelsea's, you know, Instagram page, it's him with Didier Drogba holding up a jersey, and it says, to Adam, best wishes. So he went up to my favorite player, got it signed for me without me even asking, and sent it to me when he knew I was was low. That's that's what Kobe Bryant was, man. He was just one of those dudes who understood his own aura 
When four-time All-Star Sean Marion hung out with us, not only did he tell us that he tried to recruit Kobe Bryant to the Suns the summer that the Suns ended up signing Steve Nash and Quentin Richardson, he also told us that his 2006 Suns team should have won the title. In the 2011 preseason, his Mavericks teammate Jason Terry was so confident they'd win it all, he got a tattoo of the trophy. We was at the Sean Stevenson house. We had a game in Orlando, and um, we went to his house and you know, a few a few of the team, and uh, we was over having bar eating and stuff. And then this tattoo guy came over there, and Jet guy tattooed a tra- trophy on his on his bicep. I was like, damn, dude. I was like, for real. I was like, okay, okay. I'm loving it. I'm loving the the, the confidence and the swag we have right now. So like, just let alone don't nobody else know. Don't nobody else in the world know we do we doing this and we feeling this right now because everybody. Everybody in the league has aspirations. A lot of teams have aspirations to win championships, but it ain't but maybe a handful that actually actually can do it. You know what I'm saying? So we was one of those teams, and, like, we're sitting there going through this process and looking at this, and, uh, yeah, we was like, yeah. Did he tell you, hey, I'm going to get a tattoo of the trophy? Did you know as it was happening? Or once he got it, he showed you at hey, it has got a tattoo of the trophy. Well, it was called – it was all kind of one sequence. He been, he's like, we won the championship this year. I'm about to get a trophy right now. <laughs> we were like, okay, that's what's up. <laughs> I mean, they don't get no better than that. Come on now, you don't get no better. Yeah, than it that. does it. Don't get no better than that. Kevin Willis never did win a ring, but he was an all-star and was one of the most dominant rebounders of his era. He spent year 16 of his career with the Toronto Raptors when Tracy McGrady was in year two and Vince Carter was a rookie, as expected. He had some pretty good advice for those kids. They used to call me OG, old head, things like that. And I was, I think I was in my 15th year or somewhere up in there. And it was like, yeah, man. I used to tell him and T-Mac. I say, T-Mac, first of all, you need to, you need to stop falling asleep on the bench and practice. You, you got to stay awake. You, you, you keep falling asleep. I used to tell him and Vince. You guys rather hope that you get the 15 years because you, you little snot-nosed rookies, but, <laughs> you know, they, they, were, they were great, great rookies, great talent. Speaking of vets and rookies, when Suns legend Eddie Johnson got traded to Seattle, Gary Payton was a rookie point guard, and since everyone loves a good one about GP running his mouth, Eddie delivered. And I remember one day at practice, I was there for about two weeks. And I remember he kept disrupting practice. And Gary's a smart guy. He had, he had a right to talk in that regard because I got to know him. He really knows the game, obviously. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest defenders ever now. But at the time, he was a rookie. And rookies were not supposed to talk under my watch. Right. So that's, that's what it was for me. And I just couldn't get over the fact that this rookie kept talking. You know, and I let it go for two weeks. And I asked Nate McMillan, I said, is it a point in time, man, when you all, like, going to say something to him? And Nate was like, man, you know. You know, Nate kind of shook it off. And I said, well, I'm going to say something. And lo and behold, one practice, he's got the yapping, and, you know, coaches going over stuff, and he yapping, he yapping. And I just finally said, would you shut the F up? About 15 years later in Seattle, P.J. Carlesimo was coaching the Sonics with rookie Kevin Durant. When P.J. came on the show, he revealed how ahead of the curve his staff was when K.D. was on the floor. 
one good thing we really did with him was we exposed him to a lot of things in terms of we played him at two, we played him at three, we played him at four, we put him in pick and rolls, we encouraged him to shoot threes. It's his only bad three-point percentage. If you look at his percentage year by year uh, in the NBA, it's far and away the lowest one. But again, uh, in those days, it was even a bigger jump from college three to NBA three. And Kevin didn't shoot a lot of threes uh, at Texas. And we, we had him do that. And at times we were criticized, like, why are they playing this guy at guard? Why, like, why are they putting him in pick and rolls? You know, why are they letting him dribble the ball up the court? Because he could. Staying with coaches, Brendan Haywood won a title with the Mavs in 2011. And when he joined LeBron in the Cavs under David Blatt, it was obvious when a head coaching change was needed. We could see late in ball games, if he had to draw up plays, we could see he was super nervous, his hands would be shaking. He'd have to give the clipboard to Larry Drew. Larry Drew would draw the plays up. And when you see that, you understand. Like, this dude ain't ready. He's not ready for this. He's not ready for this. And it's not his fault because he, he thought he was taking on a rebuilding project. And then next thing you know, LeBron James calls up David Blatt and says, I'm coming. And now instead of taking on a rebuilding project with Kyrie and Deion Waiters at the forefront of it, and Tristan Thompson, you have LeBron James and Kevin Love there, and now you're competing for a title. Uh, I just don't I, – I think just Coach Black got hit with too much too soon, but it was easy to tell right away that Coach Black was probably in over his head. Just like a head coach can lose a team, a woman can tear one apart as well. Butch Beard was an assistant with the Mavericks in the mid-'90s as Grammy Award-winning R&B singer Tony Braxton came in between stars Jason Kidd and Jimmy Jackson. I mean, it was it, it ended up being Jason and Jimmy, all right? Jason, Tony. Tony's not caring about either one of them. And then the team was taking sides. So I'll never forget, we had, we, we, we had a damn team meeting. And I said, guys, it's a woman that's breaking us apart. And it's... If the woman is that good, please, I want to see what her mother looks like. Because I want to <laughs> date her mother. Come on. Entertainment and the NBA will always be intertwined. The first to do that on the media side was the New York Post's Peter Vesey, who was also the sideline reporter for the national broadcasts on NBC. We asked Peter about his post-game interview with Carl Malone after the Jazz lost in the finals to the Bulls in 1997. The YouTube clip is titled, Peter Vesey tries to get punched. Carl was always a great interview. He would never not answer a question. You know, we really didn't get along. I, I disliked him on many levels, respected him on many other levels as a player, but, you know, he was a dirty player. And the first time that they showed it to me, I didn't even remember it. Okay. So I did this interview. I had no agenda. I was just going to ask him some tough questions, and um, I didn't care how tough because I really didn't like him. So, <laughs> but I knew he was going to answer them. <laughs> so, so I, I wasn't, I didn't feel unsafe, and I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. And it really never, it never dawned on me that that came off the way it did. You know, my son would say to me, "Said, wow, like, what were you, what were you thinking?" I said, I was just doing my job, but I, I, uh, I had no mindset going in other than I knew he was going to answer my question. In 1997, former head coach Hubie Brown was broadcasting for TNT, but five years later was hired by Jerry West midseason to coach the Memphis Grizzlies. Point guard Earl Watson was in his second year with the team, 
and was thoroughly confused when it all went down. Jerry West introduced UV. I'm 22 years old. We're in Memphis, losing franchise. First time in my life I've ever been a part of anything that was losing. So it's all new to me. Just everything was like new to me. I never, I, it made me, it almost made me sick. He introduces Hubie Brown and I'm thinking, I got to call Bob because we just hired the TNT guy. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know his full resume, right? <laughs> so the first thing he says to us, he takes the podium and he says, first I would like to say, you all are fucking losers. <laughs> None of you are winners. If you was a winner, the other guy wouldn't be packing his stuff with his family. See, you got on fire. You're fucking losers. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. The Bob that Earl referred to was Bob Myers, his agent at the time and now the president of the Golden State Warriors. Stories like these are a taste of what rejecting the screen sounds like every week. So we hope you'll join us by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Please subscribe to Rejecting the Screen, Chad Ford's NBA Draft Show, Locked on Fantasy Basketball, Harlinger and Duncan, and the shows all over the network. I really appreciate that, as well as Locked on Braves, Locked on Falcons for the local flavor if you are an Atlanta sports fan. And of course... Please subscribe and leave a five-star rating on this show if you like the pod. I appreciate everybody listening. As always, we will see everybody again next week.